Good morning. Happy Sunday. It is Sunday. Thank God for letting us partake of another week. Lord, we give you glory and we give you honor. We're going to get right into the word of God. I am so excited about this word because I get to tell you about Jesus, the game changer. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus, we come to you just giving you honor and praise this morning. Lord, we thank you for waking us up this morning. We do not take it lightly, oh God, that you took the time to wake us up, to keep us closed in our right mind, oh God. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, oh God, that you keep bestowing upon us, oh God. Not based on what we deserve, Lord, because we know we deserve nothing. But we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we ask that you open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word, O oh God. And as we address the topic of who your son Jesus was, in the depth of your love for us through him, O oh God, we ask that it penetrates our hearts, it penetrates our minds, oh God. And help us walk out our lives according to your will and your purpose. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. Again, we say thank you, God, for just being God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Jesus, the game changer. When you research all other religions, you can compare beliefs, traditions, doctrines, the do's, the don'ts. But it's Christianity, which is the only religion that always will weigh a bit different because it upsets all religious apple carts. Because every aspect of Christianity points to the game-changing component absent from all other religions, and that is Jesus, the Christ. No other religion has a leader who has professed to be the way, the truth, and the life. No other religious leader has ever proclaimed to be the exclusive means by which one has to access God. Every other religious leader who has died is still laying in their grave. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead and walked among the living. His resurrection changed the lives of so many to the point where they were willing to endure ridicule, pain, suffering, crucifixion, beheading before they would denounce Jesus as the son of God, who was born of a virgin, he, who lived a sinless life, who was crucified, who laid in a tomb for three days and rose from the dead. The significance of proclaiming to be a believer, a Christian, is because of who Jesus was and is. It's because he had no sin nature, because 
He was the living example of righteousness because he rose from the dead, proved that unrighteousness will not overcome righteousness. When we proclaim to be Christians, it's based on our commitment to the word of God. The purpose of God and the depth of God's love shown through Jesus Christ. Collaboratively, these elements of belief and commitment are the recipe for a religious doctrine that is unprecedented and unable to be duplicated. Jesus is the game changer which validates, personifies, and seals Christianity. Christianity is not a designer label that can be worn and taken off as one chooses. Christianity is a lifestyle that stands or falls on the birth, life, death, and physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not just the founder of Christianity. He is Christianity. No one else could be used as a substitute for Jesus. And Christianity stand. Without Jesus, Christianity would collapse. Jesus' question to the disciples in Matthew 15, 5, he asked them, he said, who do you say I am? This was crucial because in the identity of Jesus rests salvation, hope, reconciliation, and eternal life. If your beliefs don't align with the confessions and proclamation of who Jesus professed to be, then Christianity has no validity. After the fall of Adam and Eve, Due to their disobedience to the word of God, God cursed Satan. And he said these words in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. The scripture goes on as God says, her seed will bruise your head. and You shall bruise his heel. The scripture was putting Satan on notice, declaring that the seed of Eve would come and destroy Satan and his agenda. And if you go to Genesis 22 and 18, God is speaking to Abraham and in the dialect that he's having with Abraham, he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I want you to understand the seed of disobedience had to be corrected by the seed of obedience. Mary, Jesus' natural mother, was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She was specifically of the tribe of Judah. Significantly, Luke traces Mary's lineage all the way back to Adam. 
Luke wrote to the Gentiles and he emphasized that Jesus is the son of God who came to save all the people. Look it up in Luke chapter two, verses 10 through 11. That whole chapter is phenomenal. When God forewarned Satan in the garden about the seed of Eve, he was referring to Jesus, the Christ, the one who would come through the lineage of Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because our human, humanistic sin nature, a savior, a messiah, was desperately needed. The characteristics of the Messiah are described in many passages. In Deuteronomy 18.15, the characteristics of the Messiah is outlined as a prophet like unto Moses. If you turn to Psalms 110 and 4, it says the priest after the order of Mezazianic. And in Isaiah 11 and 1, it says the rod out of the stem of Jesse. And in Isaiah 7, 14, it says Emmanuel, the virgin's son. In Isaiah 4 and 2, it says the branch of Jehovah. And in Malachi 3 and 1, it says the messenger of the covenant. The Messiah was ordained to save us from our sins. See, because by right, everybody wants to talk about what is fair. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want what's fair. Because the consequences of our sin, rightfully, fairly, should be damnation. But it's through Jesus Christ that we were extended grace, that we, we were extended mercy. The Messiah came to secure our access to salvation, to save us from our sins. The Messiah would have to be sinless. This is why Jesus' virgin birth is so significant. Jesus had no sin nature. The virgin birth is because a sin nature is passed down from generation to generation through the loins of the father. Read the scripture, Romans 5 and 12. Jesus' father, who was God, was the epitome of righteousness. So when Jesus was born as a baby, he came into the world with no sin nature. Before the birth of Jesus, an angel appeared to Joseph and told him his fiancee Mary had conceived a child through the Holy Spirit and that Mary would give birth to a son and they were to name him Jesus. This was the fulfillment of the prophecy that the Lord spoke to Old Testament prophets. In Isaiah 7, 14, the scripture says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Hmm. But you just said, Pastor, 
that he told Joseph his name would be Jesus. But in the prophecy, they said, he said they will call him. He didn't say that would be his name. He said they will call him Emmanuel. Why will they call him Emmanuel? Because Emmanuel means God with us. There's a difference between one's name and one's title. A name is given. A title is one. A title is what one is called. And it usually refers to a person's position, occupation, or character, or assignment. We often give people what we call nicknames which are usually based on their characteristics or on an experience. Emmanuel was a title that described exactly who Jesus was. Matthew 1, 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. There are many titles given to Jesus in the Old and New Testaments. Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah in Isaiah 9 and 6. And he said, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophet Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 23 and 5 that he will be a king who will reign wisely. And he gives us the name of the coming Messiah in verses 23 and 6. And he says, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. These titles give insight into Jesus' mission, his purpose, his character, who he was. Jesus' name is what was given to Joseph. The one who God ordained to be his earthly father. The entire scripture reads in Matthew 1, 20 through 21. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. None of the mentioned titles replace or dismiss Jesus' given name. They are simply accurate descriptions of who he was and what he would accomplish. An angel summed it up as these words were uttered in Luke 1.32. He will be called the Son of the Most High and the Son of God. The title Christ denotes he was anointed, consecrated, to a great redemptive work as a prophet, priest, and king of kings. He is Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. He is thus spoken of by Daniel in 
who styles him as the Messiah, the Prince. It's Jesus' titles as the Christ that deems him worthy of our worship. Because angels proclaimed Jesus Savior, who is Christ the Lord, we worship him. In Luke 2, it says, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Because Jesus is our salvation. We worship him. Turn with me to Luke 2, 29 through 30. When Simon looked upon the face of Jesus, he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Because Jesus answers prayers. We worship him. And John 14 and 13, it says, and Jesus said these words, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Because Jesus is our sustainer. We worship him. The apostle John said, in John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Other passages identify Jesus as the creator, the sustainer of the universe. Jesus receives worship several times in the gospel, and it has never been recorded that he ever rejected anyone's worship. Because Jesus was God in flesh, we worship him. The Apostle Paul called Jesus our great God and Savior. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, and it pointed out that prior to his incarnation, Jesus existed in the form of God. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, the message translation sums it up like this. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of his deity and took on the status of a slave and he became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfish, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death crucifixion, all because of his love for us, all because 
He wanted us to be extended the grace and the mercy that allows us to be reconciled with God. Without the grace and the mercy extended through us, through Jesus Christ, we would not be worthy to be reconciled with God because of our sin nature, because of our repetitive disobedience to God's word. Some want to reduce Jesus to being just a good prophet. Not only is that an ungodly insult, but if he was just a prophet, he certainly was not a good one. Not unless you deem good prophets as liars, as conceited, and as arrogant. Just imagine any quote-unquote good prophet having the audacity to proclaim such words and walk with such arrogance. Just imagine it for a moment. Good teachers and prophets don't prophesy and teach from delusion, arrogance, or pride. Either Jesus was God or he was lying. He was conceited. He was arrogant. He was an illusionist. Read a few words that Jesus spoke. He said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. That no one can go through God, to God, except through him. There has never been a dispute that questioned Mary being Jesus' mother. However, if you believe Mary conceived Jesus and maintained her virginity all at the same time, then God himself is the only one who could be deemed to be the father of Mary's son. God was the barrier of the seed that impregnated Mary. So God himself was Jesus' natural father. God himself impregnated himself in Mary to come forth in human form to walk this earth to be the example of righteousness, to be the game changer. Jesus was the game changer. It's Jesus that separates Christianity from all other religions. because of who Jesus is you can't even compare right, wrong or indifferent people have all different beliefs and religions and I'm not trying to downplay anybody's religion because we're called to respect the choices that people make in their life because God himself gave us free will. But at the same time, we're called to walk according to truth. And the truth is you cannot take any religion and align it fairly with Christianity because there is no other religion that personifies 
Jesus, who is Christianity. I want to ask you today, what is your true belief as to who Jesus was and is? Take your time, think about it. This is something very serious. It doesn't, the answer does not need to be rushed. And you don't have to answer it by the end of this recording. This is something you can ponder over in your private time, but you need to know in the heart of hearts, you need to be able to stand on your conviction of who you say Jesus was and is. And it's a two-part question because based on who you Say you believe Jesus was and is. How are you aligned and conducting your life according to your belief in Jesus Christ? If Jesus Christ was the living example of righteousness, And you profess to be a believer today. The moment that you profess yourself as a Christian, your heart should shift and want to walk in righteousness. With Jesus being the example of righteousness, your heart should want to move and guide and direct and talk like Jesus did. A few years ago, a popular saying was, what would Jesus do? We need to resurrect that concept in each of our lives. as we live our lives and deal with one another and approach turmoil and turbulence and upset and all the things that are going in along in the world, the answer is when you don't know what to do, you don't know how to act, you don't know how to react, act yourself, what would Jesus do? Because it's what he would do that would change the game if more of us walked according to our belief in Jesus Christ. Our belief in the fact that he was the example of righteousness. If we would just pause sometime and ask ourselves, Right here, right now, where I'm standing, in the situation that I'm in, confronted with what I'm confronted with, what would Jesus do? Jesus is the game changer. And I promise you, if you walk in his example of righteousness, 
He can be the game changer in your life. I hear people all the time. I get emails and from people that are just tired. They start off, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. I've been going through this. And it seems like no matter what I do, it all seems to backfire on me. Because we have become so carnal that we do things in our own strength. We do things based on our own perspectives. We do things to please everybody else but God. When you want to please God, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Hmm. I promise you, when you make a commitment to hold true to what Jesus would do, Things will change. Things will shift. Mm. Because he is a changer. He's a shifter. He is resurrection. He has shown us that the things that have been put to death according to the will and the ways of God, can be resurrected when you do what Jesus does. When you're committed to walk out the examples of Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm going to say it again. It's going to require that you pick up the word of God. And that you read how Jesus faced some incredible things. And how he dealt with them. How he issued grace over and over and over again. Never compromising the word of God. Never even using the deity that he possessed. Never, ever arrogantly using his position. Jesus, God in flesh, was humble.
full of grace, full of mercy. We find every reason we can to react arrogantly or base our reactions based on someone else's actions. Just imagine for one moment if Jesus looked to you for an example. Just imagine if Jesus responded to the situations that he faced the way we do. We would have no saving grace. Salvation would not even exist. If Jesus' love for us did not run so deep that he would humble himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, committed to standing on the truth, walking in humility, extending grace and mercy. Just imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to hang on the cross as they whipped him, spit on him, cussed him. He said, Father, they know not what they do. Forgive them. Hallelujah. Just imagine, think about it for a moment. They whooped and beat the human flesh of God. And because of his love for us, because of his desire for us to be able to be extended salvation, he didn't take an arrogant position. He didn't strike them dead right there. He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus, we give you honor and we give you praise. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your sacrifice. The sacrifice that you endured in an act of love for us. We thank you for the access to salvation. Lord, guide and direct us, O oh God. Let us use the example of Jesus Christ to walk out this life. to face everything that comes up against us in this life. We give you glory, O oh God. We give you honor and we give you praise. I thank each of you for joining me today. Today was the first in the series that we're going to be dealing with Jesus. In this series, we're going to address the term, the Son of Man. 
we're going to address a whole lot of misconceptions about Jesus, who he was, who some say he is. We're going to get into the power of his name, the word, the Trinity, why it's not in the Bible, but is still prevalent in the doctrine of Christianity and how that is so biblically correct. Amen. So I invite you to keep tuning in as we finish out this series. If you have any questions, I love your questions. Y'all come up with some good questions and it helps me guide my message because I want you to have clarity above all things. The word of God says, in all thy getting, get an understanding. So if you have a question, go on our website, submit your questions if you want someone to partner with you in prayer, go on our website, submit a prayer request. And if God has placed it on your heart to sow into this ministry, you can also do that on our website, which is www.bibledeliverance.org. Be blessed.